0: I would encourage you to open to Romans 10. There's a lot of cool meat hanging on the bone in Romans 10, if you will. Very, very strong passage, Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 1, Paul says this, My heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. Paul had come to faith. Acts chapter 9 kind of records the narrative of Paul's transformation And Paul comes to faith and really has this incredible encounter with Christ. Christ becomes his Lord master and Jesus even looks at him and says, you're persecuting all these believers, you're really attacking me, Paul, why are you doing this? And then the Lord says this to to Paul, if you go back and read Acts 9, he says, Paul, you're a chosen instrument of mine. And I'm going to raise you up to take the message uh, of the gospel to the Gentiles. But he says, I'm going to show you how much you've got to suffer for my name's sake. But you're going to be my ambassador to take that message to the Gentiles. And so Paul begins this, uh, like in, in, in just intimate relationship with Christ. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is starting to do amazing things in his life. But when Paul is ministering and working with his church over in Rome, he writes this letter to him. And Part of that letter is you know my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for Israel to get the gospel They've been blinded. They don't embrace Yeshua as being the Messiah My prayer is that they get the gospel Paul had a heart for the lost now Here would be my question to you Do you have a heart and is your heart burdened for those who are lost in your world? your family members those close friends those close co-workers, when you look at people in your world right now that are alienated, separated, being beat up with life, my question would be this. Do you have a burning to reach the lost with the gospel? Does your heart hurt and ache when you see those who are alienated and separated and distant from God and missing out on life and their lives are filled with no hope and no joy and no peace? Do you have a, a burden for those people? Verse 11 of Romans 10, the scripture says that whoever believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. The word believe there is a very strong word. Don't don't miss this. Don't don't miss this. Believe does not mean just to have this uh, cognitive acknowledgement for Anytime you see the word believe, it means to be persuaded to action, convinced of. It means that I'm burning all of the ships, uh, all of these things in my past, and I believe I'm going all in. Paul said, whoever believes, the church today, the Western culture church is made up of so-called people that say they believe, but believe that has no action and belief that has no dedication and, and real traction to it is not belief biblically. It it just means that you're cognitively maybe aware of, or you're at least cognitively saying, yeah, that exists. But belief in Jesus is persuasion to action. Verse 12 says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. I mean, this is a foreign concept in that day. When Paul writes this, that Jews and Greeks and Samaritans and Gentiles, there's no distinction. Listen to what he says. The same Lord is Lord of all, imparting his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear about him without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good I want to hit two major points with you today. Two major points. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see is the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I would pose this question to you. Who or what are you placing your faith and confidence in today? When it comes to who calls the shots, when it comes to who is the authority in your life, when it comes to who rules and reigns over your life, who's in charge? What have you placed your faith in? What is your confidence in today? Do you believe, deep down inside, believe, persuaded to action, that Jesus Christ is enough? Do you really believe that Jesus plus nothing equals completion? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's master ruler and authority of all things? Do you really believe? That's the question we have to deal with as a body. If we're ever gonna take that message to Loganville and beyond, I've got to be convinced of it in my soul. So biblical salvation is believing, believing, believing. Here would be my definition here. It's conviction of sin. The scripture says that godly sorrow brings about conviction, if you will. If I'm ever gonna believe, I've had to reach this place in my life where godly conviction happens. I'm sick of me. I'm sick of being sick. I'm sick of posing. I'm sick of hiding. I'm sick of pretending. I'm, I'm convicted that I'm lost. One of, one of the things that we work through in our culture is this the gospel is not about whether you're good or whether you're bad. We're all bad in comparison to Christ. There's none good. There's none righteous. No, not one. The real question is, am I lost or have I been found? Biblical salvation that leads to belief starts with conviction of sin. Then it leads to repentance. Repentance means to turn from To me, repentance means to unplug from every less wild lover that I've tried to get my needs met through. Repentance means to change my source. What am I going to for identity and substance and worth and love and acceptance? When I repent, what I'm saying is I'm changing my source and I'm plugging only into Jesus. Conviction of sin, repentance. And then it leads to confession. Uh, we'll get to that word here in Romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead you can be saved. If you confess with your mouth, confess is the word homologia, which means to say the same thing that God says. True confession is saying what God says about His Son, as well as saying the same thing that God says about sin, so it's conviction of sin, it's repentance, it's confession, and then it's the surrender of the will. Make sense? Make sense? We've got to get a proper definition of what believing in salvation means. The scripture says in verse 11 that this type of belief will not lead to disappointment. It will not lead to disappointment. I've walked with Jesus for over 30 years. I've never met one person that unplugged from the world of their sex, alcohol, drug, and bondage issues. I've never met one person that has repented and turned from their sin, that is plugged into Jesus. I've never had one person look at me and say, I regret doing that. I've never had one person say, the worst decision I ever made is when I left left the world and left sin and came to faith. On the other hand, I've had repeatedly people look at me and say, the greatest decision I ever made in my life is when I turned from my sin, I got honest about me, and I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Greatest decision I've ever made in my life. The scripture says, he who believes will not be disappointed. He goes on to say, there's no distinction in verse 12. Don't miss this. There's no distinction. I love walking in here on a Sunday morning because uh, we see white and we see black and we see Hispanic and we see Trinidad and we see Jamaica and we see all these different nationalities represented in here. Can I tell you something? At the foot of the cross, the ground is leveled. There's no distinction. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic profile may look like. It doesn't even matter what your denominational persuasion is. He says, There's no distinction. God doesn't show any favoritism toward people. We all come to faith in Christ the same way. Conviction, repentance, crying out and surrendering. Aren't you glad that the foot at the ground of the cross or the the ground at the foot of the cross is all level for each and every one of us that we all get in the same way that he is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through him. He says, whoever believes in jesus whoever will call upon the name of the lord any whoever's in the house today i'm just a whoever whoever's up here just speaking to you today a whoever that realized he was lost whoever shall call upon the word call upon means to surrender surrender in adoration and in worship whoever shall call upon I'm, i'm surrendering i'm i'm adoring you i'm worshiping you you or my affection. Can I tell you something? The cross Loganville loves whoever's. You're just a whoever. I'm just a whoever. We're not a bunch of somebodies in here. We're just a bunch of whoever's that came to the cross and begged God, man, to just have mercy on us because we were so wayward and we needed salvation. God wants to do that for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers. Then he says, go and tell, go and tell, go and tell how beautiful are the feet. Anybody like feet? My son Benji hates feet. Hates feet. One day you're going to get married and you're going to wash your wife's feet and I'm going to watch it. That's going to be part of your <laughs> marriage ceremony. You're not going to do communion. You're going to wash feet, homie. Is that not a crazy text though where he says, how blessed are the feet? Ephesians 6 says, we're to shod our feet with the gospel of peace. Peace. How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news of of good things. Think think about this. Where's your feet going? Where's your feet traveling? Where, where, Where is your feet taking you day in and day out? How blessed are the feet? How blessed are the steps? How blessed is the movement of those who bring the good news? The word there, good news is gospel. The declaration of Jesus' story. Let Let me give you a simple working definition today. God desires to see all of us involved in evangelism. The easiest, simplest definition that I have for evangelism is one beggar who has found bread telling another beggar where bread can be found. If God has introduced you to himself in the person of Christ... And you've met the bread of life. Evangelism is one beggar who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good going to another beggar who's looking for answers offering bread. Can you make them eat? No. Can you make them hungry? No. Can you offer them bread? Yes. Any pressure on you? No. No pressure. All I'm doing is offering bread. Would you like some bread i was at outback steakhouse this past week waiter comes over would you guys like some bread yes i would i'm off that no carb diet praise the lord can i get a half pound of butter while you're here he didn't make me eat it He didn't even, he he didn't even go back and prepare. Somebody else made, he just says, hey, hey, would you like some bread? (laughs) Yeah, I would. And when you start to share with people that are lost and hurting and confused, you've got the greatest message known to man. Hey, hey, I know you're hurting. Can I share the bread of life with you? You see, I was malnourished. I was knocked down. I was starving for answers. My soul was all disturbed and disrupted. But I met but, but the bread of life. What are you talking about, dude? I met this guy, Jesus. And he radically changed me. And he forgave me of my sin. And he gave me meaning and purpose and peace. And I just want to share with you how good he is. Is anybody in the room capable of sharing that message with your family and friends? Come on, somebody. God created all people. Because of sin, all people are born lost. All people are born lost. Lost people need to be converted. Jesus came to bring about conversion. Converted people then go share with lost people how to be converted. How will they know unless we tell them? Who's going to declare the good news of the gospel? Go back to the text. How will they call on him? How will they call? How will they surrender in adoration to him if they've not believed, been persuaded to action? How will they believe in him if they've never heard it? And how will they hear without a preacher? I I love that. How? How? How how is it going to happen? The word he uses there for preacher? Preacher is you and me. It's not the word that we get as an elder and a pastor. The word here for preacher is the word carousa in the Greek. It is the portrait of a king who gives to his people this assignment to go down into the public square and make an announcement on his behalf. Hey, hey! what have you done? I, I, I've, I've been in the word and I've hung out with the king. Oh, you have. So the king wanted me to go down into the public square and just make an announcement. Are, are, are you there to make people believe it? No, I'm just there to announce it. Are you there to convince people that you've heard from the king? No, no, I'm just there to announce it. Do you have to have certain degrees before you can go on behalf of the king? No, you don't have to go to seminary. You you don't have to have 14 Bible college degrees. You don't have to know all of this apologetics on rightly sharing the faith and defending the claims. You just got to say, I've been hanging with the king, and the king has said, go love on those people and share my message. Caruso, how will they believe unless a preacher tells them? Who's the preacher? Who's the Carusas? Every person sitting under my voice this morning. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. It's not the word that you get in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 when it comes to a shepherd and an elder. It's the, you're the preacher, you're, you're, you're the herald, you're the proclamator. And then he says, how will they preach unless they're sent? The word sent there is cool. How, how will they go out unless they're sent? The word sent means to be released with authority. Who releases me with authority? The Holy Spirit. Once I come to faith in Christ, who is sending me out every day? Jesus' last proclamation is go into all the world and make disciples. I have been given all authority. So if I come to know Christ, I'm under the authority and lordship and leadership of Jesus. He goes, I've been given all authority. Now, since you belong to me, I want you to go tell others about me. I'm sending you out with authority. Anybody get fired up about sharing with lost people? How will whoever know? We're sent out to proclaim Jesus clothed in his righteousness. You're righteous? Yeah. What's your name? My name is Saint Tim, the disciple that Jesus loves. That's my name. I was telling a guy this this week, he's like, if someone had said, who are you? What would you say? I would say, my name is Saint Tim. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. I said, Can you say the same? He goes, I'm sure I can. Then why don't you tell people your name is Saint Joe, the disciple that Jesus loves? Saint Nick, the disciple that Jesus loves. And Saint Lisa, the disciple that Jesus. What's your name? I'm, I'm, I'm Saint Tim. You are? Because God made me a saint the word saint means to be holy I was made holy by the shed blood of Christ I was made righteous so I just go out into the world because I'm a saint I didn't need the Catholic church to make that declaration and vote on it Jesus said that's who you are like cool and so I go out clothed in his righteousness and all I do is say let me tell you about Messiah Jesus He lived for 33 years without sin. He was perfect. He was born a virgin's birth. No male seed ever infiltrated that virgin womb. His daddy was God, and and he was born in in, in a poverty area. And he lived for 33 years without sin, without messing up, screwing it up like we did. And when he was 33 years old, after launching his ministry at the age of 30, he willfully died a criminal's death because sin had to be dealt with once and for all. And he became the atoning sacrifice and they, they, they brutally shredded him. And, 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 and he died for our sin once and for all. Then they placed him in the grave. And just like Jonah was in the belly for three days, on the third day, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. I mean, when a dead man starts talking, you need to listen to what he has to say. And he says, All authority's been given to me now. I've got the keys. And that's what you tell people? Yeah. (laughs) yeah and now he's seated at the right hand of the father and he lives to make intercession and he said he was going to send the holy spirit now he sent the holy spirit and the holy spirit lives inside of me and i'm just here to tell you he loves you and and he's crazy about you the holy spirit then does the work to penetrate the heart it's not my job the holy spirit will open people's hearts And then all of a sudden the person says, what must I do to be saved? What have I got to do? And I say, all you've got to do is repent if you're being convicted of sin and confess that he is Lord and surrender to him. What else do I have to do? He's already done everything. Jesus plus nothing equals completion. He didn't say I've done my part, now you go do yours. He's done it all salvation is a gift it's grace that he extends to us and then all of a sudden when he starts working in and through us and we take that message we start to be a part of seeing a lot of whoever's converted can I tell you it is a joy to walk with people And to be able to share the love of Christ, and to be able to pray with whoever, and to be able to baptize whoever, and to be able to train whoever, and to be able to send whoever out into the world. Can I tell you, that's one of the most thrilling things to do in this journey. And if you're not sharing your faith, you're missing out. If you're not discipling people, you're missing out. And if you're not going into all the world sharing the gospel, you're missing out! Because there's a lot of whoever's that are starving for bread. Can I get you some bread? Sure. That's nice of you. So here would be my question. Where is your God willing to go? D- did you get it? Where is your God willing to go? My God's willing to go to the remote locations of the world. My God is willing to go and set those and brothel lifestyles free. My God is willing to go to Skid Row and set the alcoholic free. My God's willing to go to Death Row and set the inmate free, the drug addict free, whatever the bondage. Oh, uh, oh, oh. My God is willing to go to the goody two shoes who's gone to church all their life and tried to perform in the flesh to please God and set that goody-two-shoes person free. My God's willing to go to wherever you're at today with whatever you're going through today and set you free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. My God is willing to go wherever. Who's your God willing to reach out to? Who is your God willing to reach out to? Is there people, groups that are beyond his love, beyond his grace, beyond his mercy? No, there's none. What is your God willing to give? My God's willing to give it all. My God's willing to be generous, sacrificial, nailing his own son to the cross. What is your God willing to give? How far on the ladder? We've talked about the ladder over the last few weeks, the ladder of generosity, How far on the ladder of generosity of living and giving is your God challenging you to climb? What kind of risk is your God telling you to take? What kind of sacrifices is your God saying you've got to make if you're going to move into the future with Him? What kind of risk? Here's a cool story. Check this one out.
1: is Lee this is my wife April and we are the Jays um, we've been coming to the cross uh, since July mm-hmm. last year uh, we've known Tim and Barb for whole cash Clan for almost 20 years now but just the whole tithe part was uh, <clears throat> it just didn't work on paper and uh, uh, we thought it worked for everybody else but us <laughs> On. Uh, was in November
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Tim was uh, preaching about uh,
0: following the, in the dust
1: yeah following in the dust and uh, the, Lord, the Lord just laid it on our heart to uh, uh, just go ahead and take that step of faith with our finances as we've done with uh, pretty much all our possessions and everything and uh, since then we've uh, well, the first week our
0: fuel pump broke that was four hundred dollars our dryer broke <coughs> and we still tied.
1: Yeah, and uh, miraculously the Lord provided.
0: It's just really exciting and and we love that we, we're doing the online giving just because I don't want to be tempted to to use it or anything. So um, but we just said that no more excuses, we're all in and with Tim's new chapter, the next chapter, um, we're excited. Dare you to lie! So I've known April and Lee for 20 years. And this was so crazy, right? So she looks at me. They start coming here in July. And Barb, we've laughed so much dealing with April that she goes, okay, I've disobeyed God for all these years. Tithing worked for everybody else, and obeying God worked for everybody else but us. All right, we're going to do it. I get texts from her. I'm not joking. I get texts from her every week. You're not going to believe how God has provided This one job we had, we didn't even give the people a bill for it. It's like, whatever. They just dropped 500. They just dropped a thousand. And so she's seeing God provide for them in ways that she's never seen because she's starting to trust that God will provide for them in ways she's never seen. Do you know what oftentimes hinders the spirit of the Lord from really being able to work is our disobedience because we don't trust God. We look at it and go, well, that principle right there, Maybe it works for everybody else. Or that principle right there, oh, that's under the old covenant. That principle, and We do everything to rationalize and justify. And, and what, what we do is we rationalize our disobedience. We feel like we've got an angle on why we don't have to obey that nobody else has ever come up with. Can I tell you something? It's insanity. It's insanity. And so what's so cool about where we're at? is that God is leading us into a next chapter. God is saying, take the gospel to Loganville and beyond. Share the good news of the gospel to this world. Go out and make disciples of all nations. Be a part of that movement. You can do it. For some of you, this weekend will be a declaration that you make for the very first time to become faithful and even free when it comes to being Generous and obedient to the Lord regarding stewardship. For some people, it's going to be the first time that they ever look at this ladder we've talked about and said, you know what, I've been so random, it's pathetic, or I've been so rare in my faithfulness to God, it's pathetic. For some people this weekend, their declaration is you turn in these cards that we gave out four Sundays ago, and you go, you know what, I have been praying. And I have been seeking God. And for some of you, it's going to be a statement and a declaration to move into obedience for the first time. That is huge. That is so huge. For some of you, you, you're going to move up on the ladder. You're going to look and say, you know what? We've we've been regular, but we've been given about six or seven percent. That's not good enough. Benji's got a buddy that came over on Friday, and I'm talking to this kid. He's 21 years old. And so I was challenging him in conversation. He started his own business right out of high school. And I said, are are you honoring God with your money? And he goes, yes. And I said, let me challenge you. Get to a 10, 10, 80 approach. Give the first 10 in obedience, save the next 10, and then live on 80. He goes, I'm I'm, I'm giving 10% already out of what God's providing. And I said, let me tell you you where you want to go. Let me tell you where you want to go. Barb and I are looking at where we're at after 25 years in marriage. Now, you climb, you grow, you keep going higher up the ladder, right? It's not that you're doing it to impress. It's just, I'm just sharing with you as, as minister and pastor and friend, you want to keep growing. 10% is where we start, but you want to keep growing. And I said, looking at where we're at, we're at about 20, 20, 60. I said, now think about that. It's taken 25 years, but now we have put ourselves in a position where we can give 20% of whatever resources come in, we can save about 20 and we live on 60. I said, now, here's where we want to go. In the next five years, we want to get 25, 25, 50. Is that bragging? No, 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 it's a plan. It's a plan to say, Let's see if we can get ourselves to a place where we're only living on about 50%. And praise God, based on the way this is going, some of these kids will eventually move out of the house, and I think we're going to be able to do that. Come on, Danny. Man, I fed these kids so long, brother. I'm like, this is Hoover. He sucked me dry. That's Eureka. He's sucking everything else dry. I mean, we went Old Testament names. We should have gone vacuum cleaner names, Barb. I mean, we would have come out better. But, you know, I think for a lot of people, as I share that, here's the reason I want to share that with you, because I really believe God is leading some people to move from regular to becoming radical. Yeah. And if we ever learn to live and give and surrender at a radical level, and can 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 you just look at me for a second? This has nothing to do with you giving us money. It has everything to do with you trusting God. If you ever get to the place where you'll realize it's all about me trusting God, all this brother is asking me to do is trust God. Surrender to God. Yield to God. I stood here last Sunday and I made this statement with last Sunday's message. If you missed it, please go back online and watch it. But I, I asked this question last week. I said, what are you going to do with what he's given you? What are you going to do with a life that he's given you? I had a buddy sitting here, Taylor. Taylor was sitting here last Sunday with his wife, his daughter. I baptized Taylor and his wife and daughter about six months ago. Taylor is listening to the message. Taylor gets into the car, he drives home. Taylor gets a phone call. Taylor gets a phone call that a drunk driver had hit his mom, his sister, and his sister-in-law. Taylor and them leave. They take off going to Gainesville to Northeast Medical. Taylor gets there, mom's dead, sister-in-law's dead. Sister is beat up pretty bad. What are you going to do with what you've been given? I made this statement last week that at any time, God may say, give me back my breath. And so I was talking to Taylor this week. His heart is crushed. His brother had only been married for six months. His brother and this young girl, they were in love with each other. She would grown up on the mission field. Give me back my breath. Am I going to trust God? Is my life going to count? What will my legacy be is I pass it on to that future generation. Does this make sense? We're not promised breaths. We're not promised tomorrows.